0: Welcome to In Your Area. Today's episode discusses the details of the January 1st, 2020 changes to condo regulations in Alberta. Ryan Smith of CIR Realty hosts Bill McDougall of Optimum Realty Group and Matt McMillan, Area's Advocacy Advisor, as they discuss the path that led us to these changes. They also discuss the changes themselves and what these changes mean for realtors when working with their clients. We hope you enjoy.
1: Hi everybody. My name is Ryan Smith. I'm a real estate agent and an educator in Calgary, and I'm here today to talk to you about some of the changes to the Condominium Property Act that took effect on January the first of two thousand and twenty. Uh, with me today are Bill McDougall and Matthew McMillan, and I'll let these gentlemen introduce themselves. Bill.
0: Hi, Bill McDougall here, a broker, realtor, and educator in Calgary, and uh, looking forward to this discussion.
2: Howdy. I'm Matthew. Uh, my job. I'm a staff member at Area. Happy to. Happy to support realtors across the province. My job is to support our provincial government relations committee as well as to talk, package, what we want changed in the industry and talk with political parties, bureaucrats, and everyone around the government system to make sure our issues are heard by the decision makers.
1: Now, Bill, you and I have been teaching condominium courses now for quite a while together. And it's been interesting over the past, let's say, six years Because these changes that have come into effect in Alberta have been phased out over time. And as such, it's been a little difficult to keep realtors abreast of the changes, what's current, what's coming. Maybe you can speak a little bit on on behalf of your experience as to how we got to the changes that took effect today, why the process took so long, why the government chose to phase all of this out. Basically, just sort of give us a synopsis of how we got to these new changes that have come into effect.
0: Yeah, we started this process a long time ago with the late, great Mimi Bueller, uh, who is Minister of Service Alberta. And he acknowledged and saw a need for a change in the Act, the Condominium Act, and a lot of changes were required. Uh, he, We started down that process in 2013, and we got the legislation passed in uh, the fall of 2014. And at that time, it went back to the government, Service Alberta, to run through the Act, put it in, get regulations going. They phased the uh, release of the Amendment Act out because it was so intensive and so much of it. If we did it in one shot, I don't think anybody would have understood what's going on. They would have been completely confused. Uh, the first portion of it was mostly deal with developers, uh, and then we phased in some other um portions of it. The latest one was the last one that was supposed to happen was July 1st. Uh, and this is the one that got delayed by the current government. Um, the reason being it was delayed because the current government wanted to make sure that we weren't putting any extra um, cost into this or any extra red tape into it. Uh, it was delayed for six months. They reviewed it. We put out, had a lot of sessions and we've come out with um, what we have as of J- January 1st of this year. So now we can have the last little bit, bit of these um, rolled out. There is still more, one more item to come out, and that'll be the arbitration issue. And the government is still looking at that. I would imagine, hopefully, by the end of this year, uh, we'll have that completed and the Condominium Act will be completely revised. Um, nothing moves fast with the government. It's like moving a great big uh, cruise ship. But uh, we're getting there real close, and, and it should be done soon. Excellent. So, Matt, can
1: you give us kind of an overview of what changes took effect on, uh, on January the 1st?
2: So many things have changed, but I, I like to summarize basically four positive changes. We went from a system where we had zero, virtually zero rules on what fees were for what documents. Now we have fee caps. It costs this much. If you want it rushed, it costs this much. Same in Carstairs, same in Fort McMurray, same in Grand Prairie. Uh, rules for services have to be written down. If a company if a condo corporation is using another company to deliver products, that interaction needs to be transparent and there can't be financial kickback back to the condo corporation. So gone are the days of huge, huge, huge fees. And we work with this company for reasons. Uh, the other one that I like to look at is a regular doc provision. It's going to make it a regular habit. The new act or the new regulation says, okay, condo corporations, you got to get the ABC out to members before the AGM, ABC out after the AGM. And if you change your insurance, you got to tell them. That's every year that the condo corp is looking at this and it builds that habit. The other one that I'm sort of happy about, we're in the 21st century now and you can photocopy your material. You can, you as an owner, if you get condo documents, you can keep an electronic copy and you can share them with others. So I'm not always the most organized. I don't have documents from the 90s, but if you're a condo owner and you have all your up-to-date material, you can just email that to your realtor to help move the process along as long as the information isn't stale. So what's the big win on this? In my mind, we're going to integrate with the rest of North America. A lot of places in North America, condo management companies they do things, so they need money to do things, and they're transparent about it with, with their fees. Alberta is now part of that group, of it is predictable how much fees will cost, and it doesn't, it, the variance won't be in the thousands of dollars, which we have had in Alberta. We've had people. Some people luckily pay well under a thousand, but we've had lots of other buyers and sellers pay well over a thousand, well over 2,000. Those are the wins and those are the changes. A lot has changed, but the big takeaways are the Wild West days of condo documents are gone. Um, and that's to me, I think, a win for clients and for Albertans. So
1: that's a great synopsis. Let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, As you said, there's been a wide variance over the course of time about what people will pay for condominium documents. I would say if I had to put an average to it for the average client that I represent, it's probably been... You know between five and eight hundred dollars give or take you said that you've encountered situations where people are paying well over a thousand i can't think of a first-hand experience like that but i know of a person who you know she says that she paid twelve hundred dollars for her condo docs so you had said that there's now capped fees where there had been no capped fees before so what do those fees look like uh, and how are they capped and at what cost
2: yeah so basically the government took areas forms copy and pasted these are all the documents Area says could be useful in a condo interaction. They copy and pasted that and broke it into three categories. Estoppel, information statement, supplemental documents. Three categories. Estoppel, if you want it within 10 business days, $200. So uh, Estoppel Rush is $100 max. We also have the information statement, which is sort of new. They lump together a lot of very relevant material, And it is considered one document. So if you want something from that, a cool takeaway is uh, they can't charge you a fee for every minor document within it. It is considered one document by the government, and the information statement is $100. Everything else, supplemental documents, anything that isn't an estoppel or would be included in the information certificate, so think at the bottom of that area form, All of those things are considered supplemental documents, $10 a doc or a quarter a page if it's hard copy, and like a really long document, over 40 pages. That's about the breakdown of those three, which is good because it's even transparent on the government websites that this is how much it costs, this is how you categorize it. There are good people in the world and there are bad people of the world. This restricts the not so good people from bamboo, from breaking down condo docs into multiple. Uh, things that they can charge for. You're not being charged for the first page, the second page, and the third page as different documents. No, that's silly. Here are the rules. Follow them.
1: So to to summarize and sort of recapsulate what you said there, Um, If we're talking about a purchase contract and that's the set of documents that we're ultimately talking about, we would call them typically a disclosure package or a set of disclosure documents. I realize a disclosure statement is a separate document in the conversation here, but we're talking about all of the documents that a seller is going to require when they're selling their unit because they have to provide those to the buyer so that the buyer can do their due diligence vis-a-vis having a condo doc review before deciding if they're going to go ahead and purchase the unit. So we talked in there about an estoppel certificate. Now, an estoppel certificate is not part of the standard disclosure documents. That's going to be generated by the lawyers at correct. closing, right? So that's really not something that most realtors are going to have to deal with. But again, they've capped the fee for the estoppel certificate. Uh, I believe you said it was $200 as a standard fee and then 300 if it's rushed. Is that correct?
2: $200 within 10, uh, 10 days, okay. not business days. Okay. It's very... There's more intricacies two hundred and if you want it within three days within is the ruling that's a big word up to one hundred dollars okay so max uh, hundred dollars
1: extra okay understood but again at the end of the day that doesn't directly impact our members because that's going to be dealt with by the lawyers it's ultimately going to be accounted for in the sale proceeds so exactly let's, the let's, information
2: sheet and the other ones are more. Pertaining directly to our to the members. God. Okay,
1: so Bill, let's talk a little bit about the information sheet because I know previous to this. There were practices by some management companies where, as Matt said, there's a lot of disclosures that have to be made, uh, and some of them are basically one-line statements, things such as you know the corporation's not in uh, sorry not aware of any written demand in excess of five thousand dollars, or they're not aware of any structural deficiencies. And so now the government has said, look, we want you to bundle all of those statements into one letter rather than charging you know individually. What's your take on that, and what do you see the benefit of it?
0: Well, first off, I mean, we've heard examples, like you said today, of uh, condominium documents costing upwards of $1,200. I've, we haven't submitted to the government uh, an invoice for $1,400 worth of for condominium documents for uh, a senior citizen, which was kind of appalling. What we're doing now with this cap, uh, we are getting documents that are probably going to cost the homeowner in around the $250 to $270 range, probably 270 maximum as long as they order them uh, and give enough time to delivery so it's not a rush within three days type of thing but after three days this is going to substantially improve um, the sales of condominiums because now the seller can order these documents ahead of time what's been happening if you're going to be charged $1,200 for a set of documents and you put your condo up for sale, they're not gonna go out and spend $1,200 because in this market, they're gonna say, well, what happened if it doesn't sell? I just wasted $1,200. So now we can go in and say, hey, look, we can get these documents, some real critical documents we need for listing this property, and only spend maybe 30 or $40 and get that information. And when it comes around to selling it, the property, we can get a lot of that information all ready to go in a PDF form or in, in printed form, and we can hand that off as soon as we get an offer in there, which will speed up the process, which will help the uh, the uh, the closing of the of the deal.
1: So the information statement, just to go back to that, yep. I mean that's something in my mind that's that's time sensitive, right? I mean, I'm probably Strictly. not going to be encouraging a seller to go out and purchase an information s- statement the day that we're listing the condo because, as yep. you said, in the current market with the oversupply that we have, if it takes months for that condominium unit to sell, that information statement is going to be outdated. Any it can reasonable buyer, stale really quick, right? Any reasonable buyer is going to come back and want an updated information statement. So even though the government has capped that fee at a standard delivery charge of $100 for that information statement or that disclosure statement, the reality is that that I'm seeing and I think we're gonna continue to see is that most management companies to protect their interests, uh, financially speaking, are probably gonna default to the standard delivery time. And as Matt said, the act affords them 10 days to deliver this document. Well, in a real estate transaction, as most of our audience is aware, 10 days to get documents to a buyer's agent is not gonna work. It's time sensitive information, which means we're gonna need to pay, or the seller's gonna need to pay the rush fee for that document. But again, that rush fee is capped out at $150 for that information statement, correct? That's correct.
2: To- all in, yeah. All 100 in. plus up to another 50 for that rush.
1: Right, so 150 all in. Yep. Now, going to the rest of the documents, to Bill's point, things that are a little bit more static in nature, so they're not necessarily time-sensitive, something like a reserve fund study, which is done once every five years, you would be encouraging your clients to buy those static documents as early in the process as possible because if it takes 10 days, who cares uh, because they're not as time-sensitive. Also, they're unlikely to change during the, let's say, the listing window, if you will, uh, prior to getting an offer. Is that correct?
0: Uh, absolutely. And, and when you look at the uh, um, that document specifically, that has a lot of information that the realtor needs to list the property accurately. You're talking about the reserve fund Reset- study? Yes. We need to know what type of roof uh, is on the top of the 30-story building. You're not going to go up there and look at it. You can maybe Google map it and see what it looks like. But if you have the reserve fund study beside you when you're listing the, pro- uh, the, uh, the product, the, the listing, um, you can get all the detailed information that you need, and that information is going to be accurate. So you won't have, like we have now in some complexes, where you have a couple of realtors or four realtors listing in there, and we have three different types of roofs uh, marked on there. Well, what is the accurate information? So having that right away, only costing $10, I would suggest to the realtors, is the first thing that you would order, and make sure you get accurate information on it. Absolutely, get it done right now. Some of the budgetary stuff you may want to look at and see when's the annual AGM gonna be coming up. If I'm listing in February and they got an AGM March 31st, do I actually order that now? Do I wait till afterwards? There's new budget material coming out. It's all up to the realtor to monitor that. But when you're looking at these costs now, it's not a big deal to hold off maybe a month and say, okay, if we don't get an offer, we can hold this off and maybe save it. But you know what, 10 bucks, If you want to get it done and have it in your hand and it speeds up the transaction, why not just grab it? It's only ten bucks for that. So monitoring—it's a lot easier to get the documents now, quicker. Have them in hand, so if an offer comes in, you can deal with it rather quickly. Other than the information statement, which is something that you're going to have to have a chat with with your seller and saying, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're probably going to have to pay this extra fee to get it done quicker because we need it rather quickly.
1: Sure, and I mean the other one that strikes me as being time-sensitive might be. You know, meeting minutes from the board of directors in the past month or two, if, you know, the listing has been on the market for a while, or, you know, the most recent month end financial statements, you know, something like a budget. I guess it depends on the time of year that you're listing, because if they do their annual budget in, you know, January and you're listing the condo in, you know, March it's very unlikely to be changing by the time you get a sale, so it stands to reason that person could pay the standard fee of $10 rather than the three-day rush fee of 30. And just to clarify with Matt, again, that standard fee for these supplemental documents is capped at $10 for a you know quote-unquote normal delivery time, but if we need it within three days, they can charge an additional $20 per document, so we're looking at $30 in
2: total, correct? This one, uh, we have a quarter a page for hard copy, that's over 40 pages. 10 bucks for hard copy and it's under 40 pages, 10 bucks when provided in a digital format, but then for the rush, up to $20 for other information or documents. Okay. Um, that's the other extra rush item or, or okay. extra item. So think it's a quarter a page when hard copy and exceeding 40 pages, 10 bucks when it's hard copy and under 40 pages. Ten bucks if it's a digital format. Uh, the one other extra fee here is the government put in sort of a catch-all. If you want any other information or document that isn't listed, but the corporation or provider is willing to provide, up to twenty bucks. That's the additional item. So we have the cap cost, the rush fee, and then for if you want extra that isn't listed anywhere up to 20 bucks for a document.
1: Okay, so something, just to clarify, something like a uh, owner occupancy letter, which doesn't appear on our standard purchase contract. Exactly. That would be an additional document. They could charge up to $20 for that.
2: Yeah, if it's something that the condo corporation is maintaining or has copies of, and you want a copy, they can charge you up to 20 bucks, as opposed to having that still Wild West. I think the bureaucracy of Alberta did a good job of making sure that loophole closed.
1: Okay. Now, you mentioned in your in your sort of preamble at the beginning that there were certain documents that uh, are required to be sent out to members on a, I would say, a regular basis. So can you speak to what documents does the corporation or the management company on behalf of the corporation, what documents are they required to provide to owners and what triggers them to deliver those documents?
2: I'm going to start with the triggers. There are four event triggers, event horizons. We know something is going to be emailed or posted to us. Uh, That's no less than 14 days prior to an AGM, so two weeks before an AGM. CondoCorps also have to send some material within 60 days after an AGM, no less than 30 days prior to a change of status, which is insurance, and within 30 days after a change of status, which is an insurance thing. So two AGM obligations, two uh, two insurance obligations. So, AGM, two weeks before, every uh, every owner and or mortgagee. So if if that's a situation of mortgagees, they can also have access. The condo corporation has to give them a copy of the budget, a copy of the annual financials, a copy of the reserve fund plans, fund reports, and annual oh, reports. After the AGM, within sixty days after an AGM, they also have to they have to send out a text of a uh, any ordin- ordinary, or special resolutions voted on. So any changes to the corporation, and the results of voting on those resolutions. So what's what's a way that we we get this material normally in every other part of the world? Minutes. Uh, this gets done via approved or draft minutes. So even if the condo corporation doesn't have approved minutes yet, they have an obligation to give you draft minutes. Or, draft, draft minutes of the AGM. Of the AGM. I correct. It. On the insurance side, it's all about if there's a change in insurance nature. So no less than 30 days prior to a change of status. So that can be insurance, that can be rules uh, within the bylaw. So a consolidation of all the rules on this one under Section 32. Basically what this is is if the condo corporation is changing any of the rules where dogs can go what hours doors are open that sort of thing they have to let their members know 30 days before the only exemption there is a safety thing so if there's a safety rule and it's temporary the condo corporation can do that every other rule change within 30 days or before 30 days after 30 days of a change of status this is on the insurance side copies of insurance certificates held by the corporation within 30 days of a change you change our insurance you got to tell us Uh, The current standard uh, insurable unit description for the residential units within 30 days of change. And then also the current standard insurable unit description uh, within 30 days.
1: So if I can ask you a couple follow-up questions, as a realtor, in practice, my client should have a copy of their budget, should have a copy of their annual financials, should have a copy of their reserve fund plan and study, uh, should have a copy of their draft AGM. However, my client, in actuality, has filed all of that in the garbage when it was delivered to them. They have none of it. Uh, can the corporation charge them to replace those documents?
2: Yes. For a replacement, yes. Um, that's why I, in, my, in my personal life, I've encouraged people to always ask for digital copies, or if you get a hard copy, scan it. That way you have it
0: in your system. One thing the, act, uh, the amendment says in the act is that they have to d- um, send you a digital copy that can be stored. So you can't have a, uh, a budget that's just put on the front page of an uh, email. It has to be a PDF or Word document, something that the owner can store. And that's another big change that the Act has put in, which I think is excellent.
2: On, on, that, on that point with, uh, with can a condo corporation charge for a replacement, yes. Another interesting part of the Act that was there because of a lot of complaints is if your condo corporation or an agent of theirs sends you documents you didn't ask for, they can't charge you. So that is a situation that happened enough that the government put that in. If you get invoiced for something you didn't ask for, if you get invoiced for something that they have to provide, you don't have to pay. If you want a replacement,
0: then you do. Now, the other thing that's in the Act, or the amendment, which is going to go down a rabbit hole a bit here, is those extra charges for fees within three days For a corporation to charge that, it has to be in their bylaws.
2: Yeah, everything has to be in rules. So if
0: if you don't have anything in your bylaws, the corporation bylaws that say I can charge you an extra $10 for a rush, then they can't charge $10 for a rush. So that's something that we have to be monitoring.
1: Yeah. Now, is is that applicable to the management company as it, well? So, if says, there's a management yeah. company that's representing a given corporation, if said corporation does not have a provision in the bylaws to charge the additional fee, the management company cannot recover that additional fee on behalf of the corporation. Yeah, in right.
0: section, section 20.532, if a corporation or person acting on behalf of the corporation produces, as requested, information or a document listed in section 20.52, which is the all condominium documents, within three days of the request, excluding holiday as defined in the Interpre- in Interpretation Act, the corporation may, subject to the bylaws, cha- charge the following additional fees. So it has to be in their bylaws that they can charge additional fees for those documents.
2: If they want to charge a rush, it has to be written down and transparent. That's yeah what the government is uh, is trying to resolve in that period, which is great. I know
1: at one point uh, they were contemplating with, you know, prior to these changes being postponed for six months. So when the changes were intended to come into effect on July the 1st of 2019, they were uh, contemplating delivering the minutes of the board of directors for the past year prior to the AGM. Now they've taken that out. Can you speak a little bit to why they've done that? And I have a follow-up question for you after that.
2: So, sort of two parts one is the condominium act it passed in 2014 the government was progressive conservative our regulations were developed under a new democratic government so they had those new rules but then the ucp came in and it's a pump the brakes let's reevaluate and that was one of the changes so it's it's sort of a side part of the story but we've had different leadership on this project along the way um on the on the minutes aspect, we're sort of still in that growth pain period right now. Every day, uh, I contact Service Alberta and I I tell them a story that I heard and ask for clarification. Um, and we're sort of in that point right now. You can get board minutes. The question is, is it a monthly board minute or is it up to the point? And we we had Eric. We can only play with the cards we're dealt, but we can ask for more cards, and that's what you're, we're doing. In uh, in, when we get that information through, then we're able to pump it out. So I'd, I'd be looking at something at the end of Q1 or at the start of Q2 with more of these precedents that have started being set since the regulations are in place.
1: And that may lead into my next question, but I've seen some real estate agents commenting and questioning uh, when, when, when you're interpreting this, these new changes to the legislation if I am part of a corporation, so I'm an owner in a corporation and they meet every month, and so there are 12 meeting minutes uh, over the course of a calendar year, and I have to get those meeting minutes to provide to my prospective buyer, am I paying one fee for the entire 12 sets of minutes or am I paying one fee per month? Because to me, it fundamentally changes the cost. I mean, if I'm paying one fee for the entire set, I'm paying ten dollars for standard delivery or thirty dollars for rush if the bylaws allow it. Versus, I'm paying ten dollars for twelve sets of minutes, so you know a hundred and twenty dollars. Or if I need them rush for any reason because I haven't ordered them in time, I'm paying up to three hundred and sixty dollars just for the meeting minutes.
2: The first point is that they'll charge what they'll charge, and people ha- it'll take time for the condo corporation side to learn, but. But the regulation is really cool because it stipulates, like it says, it doesn't matter if there's one of a document or one page to this document or multiple pages of this document; it's considered a one-page document. So when, when looking at the regulation with my eyes right now, I see a verdict sort of ruling in favor of you want the board minutes of this fiscal year. That is one document. That's a question that we've posed to the bureaucracy and we're sort of waiting to hear back on so it's that limbo period but if you look at how the regulation works it i would be i'd be very impressed if someone could come with a different interpretation with more rationale behind so the answer to your question is don't know but we'll get back to you
1: okay so to be determined but our hope is that it would be for the entire fiscal year there would be one fee
2: yeah and and it goes off of that uh if they're talking about uh, finances and voting on finances, well, that that pairs up with the financial statement sort of angle. Like there's other parts of the act and regulation to pull and draw from, and it's just we're in that period of learning how to live in the new normal.
0: And the other thing, too, is um, we're starting to see very quickly where – Uh, Realtors are are asking for condominium dockets, and and sellers are purchasing these documents as of January 1, and a lot of the property management companies have not got up to speed on their websites, and their websites are still reflecting how it was on December thirty first, 2019. They need to be looking at um, saying to these property management companies, whoa. Uh, January 1, these costs have changed. Have you changed your website or could you change your website or send something to me saying this is what you're going to charge? Now, what do we do when the property manager says, I don't care, this is what I'm charging? Who do we go to?
2: Boy, that's, that's a good question. Um, as, as you mentioned before, there's that arbitration thing down the road and there's going to be a little bit of clarification tacked onto that if I had to guess. But right now, the, where do you go? I would go to three places. I would go to RECA, I would go to Service Alberta and I would go to Area. The reason is RECA is sort of responsible for this, so they need to know so that they can they can follow up with that condo corporation. I think Service Alberta, they need to know so that it's within the government's knowledge as opposed to the the arms-length regulator, it's with the government so that the minister can act on it. Minister Glubish is not afraid of acting on common sense issues. Uh, If you you recall the advertisement that Rika tried putting in, the new advertisement rules, he said, I think this is silly and I'm willing to to put my neck out to stop it. And he did. And the third one is area. And why do I say send it to area? It's not because I'm greedy. Part of my job is translating the real world of realtors into stories that a politician can understand and a politician can like so. NDP stories different from UCP st- stories. They're all true. We're not m- misleading. It's just making sure we're talking the same language. Uh, so those are the three people to CC. see Rika, Service Alberta, and Area for telling what to do. I'm gonna flip it around though. If you're a realtor and you have a deal that could collapse because you're saying don't charge me four hundred dollars, the law says one hundred. What would you guys do?
1: My advice, because we've had this conversation come through our brokerage a couple times in the past week already, my advice is the seller needs to sell their condo unit, and this transaction needs to move forward. Period. And the reality is people are going to be slow moving on any regulatory change, and people can't hold up their lives waiting for condo management companies or corporations to get compliant with the legislation. So my advice to an agent, and if it were my seller, this would be my advice to them, is pay the fee that you're required to pay right now as in you know if your management company is charging more than they should be let's get the documents let's get them to the buyer let's get this deal done and then we will send off that email to area rica and service alberta to make them aware of the situation now i don't know what avenue is going to exist for that seller to per- perhaps recoup some of their cost but the alternative is if you drag your feet or you're trying to change the practices of this management company, you're very likely to lose the buyer on the end of that conversation because they're not willing to wait while you try to get this management company to be compliant with the changes in in the regulation.
0: And if you do wait uh, and the deal does go sideways or collapses, all of a sudden the seller may get, okay, I'm upset about this. It should have been this. You gave me this advice and now I'm going to sue everybody because I didn't get my deal and we don't want to go down that path at all we want to do the best for the the consumer the client and do what has to be done and then we'll address that stuff afterwards like Brian said it's the only way to do it and you know to me even prior to these changes taking
1: effect on January the 1st of you know this year There were many condominium corporations and many management companies who did not follow the Condominium Property Act or who were doing things outside of their own bylaws. And we as an industry and we as professionals have to adapt and overcome. I mean, it just is what it is in some cases. I'm aware of certain scenarios where the president of the board refused to release any information, citing that it was a freedom of information uh, concern, right? I mean, that to me is mind-numbing, but it is what it is. So again, I would not be hanging up a transaction on the hopes that we're going to get some cheaper documents in the next couple days from that particular management company. I would just be moving forward and then advising my client to, you know, make aware the proper people or the proper parties after the fact to see what we can do about it. So we've we've hashed out a lot about these changes to the condo docs, which I think are a, you know, it's great that, that consumer protection is in place now. We have these cap fees. You know, we have some certain documents that are owed to the unit owners, and that's great. Matt, can you talk a little bit more about some of the other changes that might be appropriate uh, for realtors to inform their clients about that took effect on January the 1st?
2: The regulation is big, but uh, I would say some of the interesting parts outside of the condo documents are looking at, there's some insurance issues that are sort of open-ended, looking at the reserve fund. They put rules around who can do a reserve fund, and it's pretty well written out. Those are both big. We're a little bit limited as an organization to be able to go out and advocate on every issue. Like if I ask... What is Babe Ruth famous for? Everyone's going to say baseball or home runs. Yes, he has other interests, but he has his branding. And it works the same in government of we can talk about documents in the transaction of real estate, but what we end up doing for an issue like insurance, which I'm, I'm sure you guys can talk way more confidently on than me, we can't be the champion of that issue. That doesn't mean we can't be next to the champion and be behind the champion and support their issues but it's not our pl- it's not our lane to be the leader of that, and and we're on insurance and reserve fund. We engage and we talk, but uh, yeah, I think those are two sort of big ones that need resolution. We're walking with partners, but uh, I'm sure there'll be growing pains on that as well. Um, the SIUD.
1: So yeah, so what you're referring to is something called a standard insurable unit description, so the SIUD. Bill, can you, you know, from your government lens or your government relations lens or your advocacy lens, can you uh, comment a little bit about some of the, the changes that have happened to the insurance or that are coming down the pipe for insurance for condominium corporations?
0: Yeah, uh, two of the biggest ones this is the standard unit um, identification. It's basically saying that the units were had certain carpet, certain countertops, certain cabinets, And if the building burdens down, we have to build that building back up and the units will have carpets, same kind of countertops, same kind of uh, cabinets. But if you put improvements into that condo where you put granite countertops in or you put vinyl plank flooring in, unless you have insurance personally to cover those those improvements, when that condo building gets built back up, you're going to go back to the standard unit. Of insurance, So that's the one of the biggest things that people have to look at and talk to their insurance brokers about, saying, when I get insurance for my property, a condominium property, here's what I've got, here's the building I'm in, um, here's the standard living unit, insurable, whatever it is, and here's what I've done to it. I need to be insured so when it does burn down, if it does burn down, I'm going to get the same unit back that I was there before it burned down. So, you need to talk to your uh, broker about that insurance broker. We, as realtors, we have no understanding of that. We're not insurance brokers. The other one that was really concerning, I think it's been out there um, in social media, was the part about the deductible. Um, if your unit has is the cause of damage for a building, the corporation now can go back to you and ask for the deductible, insurance deductible for the damages for the whole building. So example, if you have a water leak, like you've left the bathtub running on the 30th floor and it k- goes down 10 floors and takes 10 units out uh, below you, the corporation's insurance will cover that damage, but they have now a right to come back to you uh, to and there'll be a deductible for that. They have a right to come back to you as a homeowner and retrieve that, depo- that uh, deductible. The legislation says it's maximum $50,000. So if a building has deductible of $500,000, they can't ask you for $500,000. They can only maximum $50,000. The problem with the legislation that we're seeing and a lot of people are talking about and a lot of lawyers is that if something happens in your unit, and it, does, and it used to be like negligence in your unit, now that word has been taken out. So if something happens in your unit and it causes damage below, you could be paying the deductible, even though it wasn't your fault. Now, I think there needs to be clarification on this. So it says that if it is a building defect, it's not your fault, you don't have to pay it. But if it's something you're supposed to maintain and it breaks and then you you are liable to pay that deductible, I would suggest you talk to your insurance broker and saying, what do I need to get insurance for covering this deductible? And if you're doing that, you might as well also talk to them about getting insurance for maybe special assessments coming up in the future. So there's a lot of things that a person, an owner, can do to talk to their insurance broker or their insurance company and make sure they're well covered in their condominium. Yes, it's going to be extra cost for sure.
1: And I think this speaks to, you know, globally the changes in insurance coverage, particularly in Alberta after the 2013 floods, after the forest fires in Fort McMurray and other places. These insurance companies are doing basically everything they can to protect themselves. We've seen premiums rising pretty significantly. I'm aware of corporations where their global policy went up 700% year over year, right? That's going to add added costs on a monthly basis to the individual unit owners because somebody's got to pay for that. Uh, Again, I like your point about... Look, I'm not an insurance expert, but I think that there's value to be added by suggesting to my client who's buying a completely renovated unit in an old building that, listen, in a total loss, they're probably not putting your unit back to this level of finish. They're going to put it back to the standard unit finish, which is maybe wall-to-wall carpet and arbright countertops, not the granite we have in here and the Acacia hardwood floors, right? Exactly. So advising them to seek competent Uh, Advice and help from an insurance broker to make sure they have the right amount of coverage that, you know, at the end of the day, you're paying for two insurance policies as a condo owner. You're paying in, you know, your chunk of the fees towards the global policy, and then you have your individual policy. To me, if you're paying twice for insurance, there should be no reason you're at risk, but that's only if you have the correct amount of coverage in the correct areas. And
0: the sad part is, is that, um, you know, when these insurance issues come up, I've heard of a couple of stories where it's typically... A renter that is not taking care of stuff and doing stuff, but the owner is still responsible for going to repaying that deductible. Um, the, it's great that the legislation is capped at $50,000, but holy smokes, $50,000 is a lot of money to anybody, I don't care who, and that's, uh, that's something you have to be aware of in the future.
1: And I think, you know, you you talk about tenants, I think this could have wide reaching ramifications on short term rentals, but that's probably another podcast altogether. So let's let's leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Let's leave it there. I want to thank both of you guys for participating today. Uh, It's been great chatting with you and super uh, helpful and insightful. So on behalf of Bill McDougall and Matthew McMillan, I'm Ryan Smith. And thanks for listening.
0: Thank you to Ryan, Bill and Matt for taking the time to share this conversation. Stay tuned next month for our second episode around condos. We hope to see you the next time we are in your area.